Welcome to the second half. I'm your host, Melanie Kenneman, and I'm excited to spend the next hour with you interviewing some of my favorite people in the world. Uh, you know, a lot of people put a lot of weight in the first half of any game, and what they don't realize, it's actually in the second half. The things that you do, the actions you take, the mindset you have that sets you up to win or fail at anything that you do or at any game. In this episode, meet Nicholas Landis. Now, you've heard from Nicholas in a previous episode when we were talking about diversifying real estate. And so I had him come back and go deeper on just all the different uh, creative ways he is using to build wealth for himself and how he always takes others with him. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So listen in and get to know Nicholas Landis. Give us a little background on on who you are, please, for our listeners. Sure. Um, I'll try to keep it brief. I came to real estate. I'm third generation. And I came to it almost as a like a last ditch, like a last. I didn't feel like anything with me had really resonated before. And I'd always done well. I've always been in sales since I was 17. And I always did really well in sales, but nothing ever resonated with me. And my, my managers would always say, you could sell ice to an Eskimo, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, to be something that I was passionate about selling. So I came to real estate really, I kind of avoided it because I grew up in the backseat of my grandmother's car with a Mapsco book, literally. Like that's that I remember flipping through Mapsco book on her way to showings. Yeah. And so I kind of avoided it. And, and I, I was at a place where I really needed a, a hard restart in life. And my mom said, you love two things, cars and real estate. And cars felt to me like, you know, every other sales job, I didn't feel like I was going to enjoy it. And I was like, well, let's give it a go. So I got my license. And for a couple of years, I feel like I didn't do anything in like remarkable. I mean, my first deal was really cool. But other than that, I didn't really have a lot of transaction volume. I didn't really, I don't know. I, I felt like I was kind of coasting. I didn't, I hadn't found my niche yet, I guess is, is what I should say. And then four years ago, last month, January of 2018, I bought my first flip and that's when everything changed. Okay. And then, okay. okay. Hold on. Time out. Time out. I want to go back to when you first started. Yeah. Okay. Just real quick, just because I know we're going to talk a lot about the diversifying real estate and stuff, but I, what's really unique about your story is when you remember when you came on, what would tell us about your first deal? It was crazy. I mean, the more I re- recounted, the more I realized some of the insane details on it. So long story short, it was an expired. I called this expired. She was really cantankerous on the phone. You could just tell like old cranky lady. And, and, but she agreed to meet with me. She had been on the market twice previously at $8.99 unsuccessfully for six months apiece. So they've been trying to sell the house for about a year. I get to her house early. I got, I think I had an 8 a.m. listing appointment with her. And right off the bat, she told me she just lost her husband of like 42 years, just maybe not even six months prior. So if you can put yourself kind of in that headspace, she was a widow she was, had been a widow for 42 years. Early onset dementia had started to kind of creep in. You could tell that she was forgetting stuff. I had to get her son involved really early on because of that. But she was just in a really bad way. And, and her husband obviously had just died. So they had both been unable to really care for the house. And I had to go in there and I told her, I was like, 
let's talk about your house and why it wasn't successful. So my listing appointment with her was seven hours. Um, that might be a record, I think. That might be an all-time record. It was crazy. And about halfway through, she said she was hungry. And I said, well, let's go to lunch. I'll take you to lunch. Where would you like to go? She said, well, let's go to Barton Creek Country Club because it was right down the street. So we went to Barton Creek and we walk in and the hostess goes, can I have your member number? And my potential client says, one. And I looked at her and I looked at the host and the host looked at her. And she was the first ever member at Barton Creek Country Club. Oh my gosh, what a great story. <laughs> it was crazy. So we had lunch, we went back to her house. She, she agreed, she's like, when I first met her, she said, I never signed paperwork on my first time meeting somebody. She signed paperwork with me on the first day. I told her why the home hadn't been successful. And I said, and to do all that work for you that I think needs to be done to get you your sale, I'm, I'm willing to front the cost of that, but I'm gonna charge you an extra percent. So I took the listing at 7% with the understanding that I was going to do all this extra work. And then we, and we did, I hired one of our agents, uh, Kasha Gamble's sons and some of his high school friends to help me with, with cleaning out the yard. Yeah, and, right. yeah. We did all kinds of stuff. We, we took off the fence for the tennis court cause it was moldy and nasty. Anyway, we power washed the whole property, including the driveways. The whole house was, uh, Austin limestone so we power washed the entire house and it looked so much better oh. so put the house on the market raised it 100 grand to a million and sold it in 13 days with multiple offers and the really interesting thing was at the time the best net offer to the client was from a seasoned investor who still lives in the house and I talked to him frequently him and his wife were flipping like 80 homes a year in the 80s so he wasn't represented and it was the best net, best net offer to the client. So on that first deal, I, I'm capped on my first deal. Yeah. And that, that first commission check was like, I mean, I framed it. I, I took a picture of it and framed it. It's somewhere in storage at the moment, but it was $67,550 on my first deal. It was crazy. It, that's amazing. And that's why I wanted to share that because that story is too incredible not to have out in the world. <laughs> Um, and, and what's what's beautiful about that? I mean, that's awesome about it, the commission is not what I'm talking about. I think the commission is amazing and you should always keep that as a reminder. But the reason yeah. that happened at the end of the day, you really helped somebody that really needed it. And, and you know, here she'd been trying to sell her home for a year. Right. She'd been mm -hmm. trying to sell her home for a year and, and mm -hmm. not successfully. And she's heartbroken. You know, she's lost a husband of 42 years. The house is a mess. And you come mm -hmm. and solve the problem raise the price mm -hmm. and sell it in 13 days. Yeah. And we got her more than we got her more than we got her over 50 grand more the highest offer they'd had when it was listed previously. Yeah. Net. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted everybody to hear that story, but that was really fun. I mean, we all love Nick when he joined and we're like, who's this Nicholas guy? And all of a sudden we see you have your first listing and it's like a million dollars, your first listing. We're like, wow. And then that happened. And we're like, well, that I think I think I I think it's safe to say in my almost 15 year career of leading offices, that's the first time I had a brand new agent have cap on the first deal. That's huh. pretty amazing. I think you hold the record for that, my dear. So I just think it's a and, and the the story behind it is just really special. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. So okay, yeah. so let's go back fast forward four years ago. Something happened, and you you had your first flip. Let's talk about that. Like what what happened? Yeah. It you know, it's something that I'd been thinking about a lot. 
And, and I'll be honest and say that I came about it the way that a lot of people come about it. And, and it was a rude awakening the way a lot of people I think maybe face rude awakenings is I loved HGTV. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I am ashamed to say that's why I wanted to buy my first flip, but it is. And so I went into it with a lot of starry-eyed expectations and <laughs> the yeah. um, the business side of doing a flip is uh, far different than it's portrayed on TV. Yes, you learned so a that, lot of lessons that first transaction, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the first one was really painful. I bought I bought too big of a house. I bought yeah. too far out of the city center because it was in Elgin and I live in Austin. So too big, too far out of the city center. I over-improved it because it's hard for me to do a mid-range anything. It's not really where my heart kind of sings. I, I prefer to like astound the market and do something crazy and unique and beautiful. So yeah. I over-improved. Yeah, wrong area, yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. And then I didn't stage it. And, and I, make, I include that as a major mistake because staging makes a major difference. And I think the reason sometimes people don't understand the difference staging can make is because they hire a stager that's maybe in the middle of the market. And if you hire one that's at the top of the market, it makes a major difference. So four huge mistakes. And um, they buried me. I didn't make any money on the house. In fact, the only reason why I made any money on it was long term. I, the only buyer I could find was an owner finance buyer. So I was able to make some money on interest and long-term it made money, but it was rough. And honestly, it scared me a lot. And I, and, and I spent a lot of time to make no money. I spent a lot of my time to make nothing. So you lost money, really? I mean, if the, totally. you really lost money if you did your, you know, dollar per hour value totally. and all that. You you went in the hole, but you're actually lucky you didn't go more financially in the hole because that could have, that's a real thing that people don't calculate is, you know, if you don't do this right, you can actually, it can cost you a lot of money, right? Oh, a hundred percent. And if I had had a full-time job, a nine to five, it would have, it would have bankrupted me. Yeah. So it was a really tough, very scary lesson. And I was like, okay, let's not do that again. And, and I was a little gun shy. So I bought a, a home that I was going to live in. And then I started fixing up that home that I was living in while I lived there. And by the time I was finished with it, it was worth way more than what I paid for it. And since I had done most of the work myself, um, I had almost no expense. It was, it was, you know, to give about numbers, I think I probably had like $70,000 worth of equity and I had only like 17 in it, which for me at that time was a ton of money. Yeah. So I sold that house and then bought another home and I still was not ready to do another flip. So I bought another one that I was going to live in. And then, which was good for so many reasons. My down payment was less. My interest on the loan oh, yeah. was less. There was so much less risk involved. And it gave me a place to you know, lay my head at night. It wasn't just a project. So I can't speak highly enough about buying a house, living in it, doing it while you're there if you're new and, and money is tight. So anyway, the second live-in one was successful. And then I was like, okay. And then I had a little bit of a cushion. So I felt a little bit more um, secure in, in making, you know, these bigger decisions. So on the fourth house I bought, it was on Quicksilver. It actually just came on the market and sold again. Oh, they, redid my, they redid <laughs> my floors and they did a better job than I did. Um, 
But then when so I bought my Quicksilver house, row, then. you did four of these in a row where you lived in, made it nice, and then sold it and moved. Just two. Two of those. Okay. Because you did the one that was not good. Then you did it right. once, twice, and then on the fourth. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, the fourth one, because I had a little bit of the cushion from the first two, I was like, okay, I need to hire a contractor for this one. So I hired a contractor, which was great. And, and again, was a lot of learning lessons about how to explain the expectation of the finished product. Because in my mind, finished product is damn near perfect. <laughs> and it's not the way everybody thinks. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are contractors that work great with tons of different types of people. But for me, I needed somebody who was at the top of their game. And this one wasn't. So another lesson learned. But it was also financially successful. So each time, I mean, every single flip I've, I've ever bought has come with still today so many lessons on each one yeah yeah that's awesome but then and then you started getting into other things too so let's talk about some of the other things that that's evolved into for you because you're pretty passionate about teaching people how to diversify and that's actually a goal of yours to be teaching this you know yeah. uh, all, all over the country hopefully right and teaching people your story what you've done and how they can do it so Totally. There's more than just these four flips. What did that lead to? So that led to, I'm a really, you know, I'm kind of a greedy person, but not in a bad way. I, I want to do bigger things so I can do bigger things. And I was, a, I was really aware very early on that I was spending $70,000, $100,000 per flip. That's a ton of money. And I wanted to really build connections. I'm still using my same electrician that I've had for four years, but I, you know, my eventual goal is to help him open his own electrician, you know, company. He's a journeyman apprentice right now. And he's worked for me for four years. We know each other super well. And my goal is, I guess my goal is to just help as many people as I can. And if it's something, you know, if I'm already doing a project and I already have to give the business anyway, why would I not invest in this person I've spent four years with, help him start an actual company. And then because I'm financing it, have an equity share in his business. Exactly. It's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like this, there's this huge ball rolling down the hill, I feel like. And, and as much people as I can bring into it with me, I want to, because that's, my success is going to be everybody else's success. So, um, yeah, so it, I, I say that to say I got greedy because I was like, okay, a real estate commission on the sale is $7,500 and the only person's life that affects is mine. But a flip, I can make 30 or 40 and I've supported countless trades along the way and I'm doing something cool. Like it felt Buying and selling still feels cool. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy that. Each transaction is different and, you, and unique. And I, I love that aspect. But being able to take something and change it and make it better. I love, I love bringing things full circle and making them better than I found them. And there's so much more of being able to do that in flipping and building. So yeah, it just kind of like started to snowball. And then I was like, okay, so if I can make $30,000 on a flip and affect that many people, how much can I make on a build and how many people can I affect with a build? Because now you're talking, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. We've got two projects right now where our loan costs or just our construction costs are over a million dollars. And that, that affects a lot of people. And I, 
I try not to hire big companies. Almost everybody that works for me or works on my projects is a small, independent. Most of them are people of color or minority contractors, almost all of them. So that's, that's kind of like my heart side of it is how many people can I help? And then with the teaching, my goal is to, is to move full-time into teaching January of next year, because I want to teach people that it is possible that you, that they can be successful. Cause I, I have a lot of imposter syndrome. Like I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I didn't go to, you know, I'm not eminently well-qualified on an education level. My parents aren't wealthy. Um, you know, I came from a single mom who was making $28,000 a year working three jobs to put food on the table. So if I can do it, anybody can. That's so, I love that. I, I, I love everything about you. And I, I love the idea though, of in this building of the empire, taking people with you and the, the opportunities you're creating for others by these opportunities you're creating for yourself, right? Which, so, so it's, it's that whole, um, I had Mo Anderson on last week as the guest and Mo was saying one of the biggest lessons she learned growing up was from her father where he taught her that money was good because you want to make more money than you need because then you can help other people. And you're kind of doing the same thing in a different way. You're creating job opportunities for people. You're creating business opportunities for, for people. You're really passionate about helping people grow their wealth in different ways, right? And I, I think that that is a very, that, that's really awesome. I love that about you, my dear. Good job. <laughs> well, thanks. It's, um, it just feels like natural. It just feels like what we should be doing. And I, I want everybody, I'm personally going to be responsible for seven people making over $100,000 next year, or this year, 2022, personally. And that's insane. And it's so that's cool amazing. because- That's amazing. Yeah, but it's, ju I'm just getting started. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, I make more than I can spend now. And I don't say that to be cocky. It's like, I- there's that that diminishing return, right? It's been scientifically proven that after 100K a year, there's really not that much added happiness that you get, even if it goes much, much, much more over 100K. So I'm kind of in that space. Like, I'm happy. I, I have, I can do what I want. And now what I want is to build as big a life as I can. If every single one of my friends around me is rich, do you know, you know what kind of things we can do? I mean, like from an investment standpoint, if every single person I know is a millionaire that I've helped helped get there, I'm going to have a massively powerful network that I can do really cool and big things with. Oh, man, I love that so much. I love that. So, well, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask all the guests, because this fits right into what you were just saying. What does playing to win look like for you? Playing to win for me looks like um, everybody winning. I that's it's honestly one of the reasons I think I joined KW is because win-win or no deal is like my jam and and if you know me outside of this video you know that I like to win I like to win in everything I do but it's not I don't want to win at all costs I want to win where everybody wants to do a deal again because that's truly that is truly winning in the long term anybody can make a quick buck but if you do this business the right way and 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 your name means something and you build a product that you stand behind and you do the right thing even when people aren't looking that gets talked about and 
if people are talking about me, that's what I want them to be talking about. Not about, oh, did you see what he did on that deal and ripped that person off? That, that doesn't serve anything. So that winning for me is when everybody wins. I love that. That is such a, a great answer. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about 2022 here, this next year for you, as you're kind of, you know, you're focused on, you know, seven people being responsible for seven people making a hundred thousand or more. Um, what does that look like for you? Are you, are you expanding in different markets? Is that more on the building side? Are you leaning more in on the building side? Tell us more about how, how you're, <clears throat> excuse me, how your energy, like what's your focus for the year? Are you, I know, cause I know you have your residential team. Are you still doing some flips or are you not doing flips right now? So I'm in the middle of four. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yes, you're still doing flips. So you do still, so four flips are going on right now. And then yeah. in the building side, let's talk about the building side a little bit. So I've got two houses coming out of the ground right now on the East side. They will be Hey, if anybody's listening and watching, it's coming soon, 1707 Hewlett Avenue. It's going to be a stunning, modern, super high-end um, house and then back house. 2,880 square feet total. We're going to list for 2.448. But those two are coming out of the ground almost done. I've got another lot that will build another two structures, AB unit, on the east side. And that'll start probably in April. And then I've got another lot in four five where we'll build two structures and that'll probably start also in April. And then um, with a business partner, I've got a 12 unit, a 12 unit multifamily that we're building up in 78753 off of Runberg. And that's hopefully going to start in June, July. But how many units is that? How, how many units you said? 12? It's 12. Yeah. 12 units. Wow. That's amazing. So you're doing a lot of these AB units huh, on the east side and um, yeah. you sell those separately, right? You or know, you sell it as one. Like, how does that? What does that look like? I th I think what's going to wind up happening is they'll probably sell separately. On our ULIT property, I have a feeling they will. But on the Ramos property, my goal is to cash out, refi it, and hold it. Um, I need somewhere to live. I'm sick of renting. <laughs> and, and if I can cash out, refi that property is going to have eight total bedrooms. So it'll be insane for short-term rentals. And even if I only rented out like March and October for ACL and South by Southwest, it would significantly defer the cost of living there. So that's my goal. But I think ABs, ideally, I would like to sell to one person. Um, right. But I, I think they'll probably sell to two. I've just seen both, right? And so I was wondering if 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 you were seeing any trends on that. Um, if people are more dividing, selling them separately or or together, because I've seen I I was wondering what your idea around that was. I think most builders would probably prefer to sell them separately because you tend to get more dollars per square foot. Although if you find the right buyer that really needs to or really wants to, then it's more valuable to them. So then maybe they're willing to go higher than it's a, the market's interesting. Yeah, it is. And it's such a cool, that, that's such a cool model though, for thinking about like, you know, a family units wanting to live close together too, and having, or having a guest house for just visitors or, cause it's always, I know they're, they're not always the same size. It's usually, there's a main house, a smaller house, uh, yep. could be mother-in-law quarter or whatever. Right. Or mm -hmm. there, there's so many ways. And I think that, that people are looking at different ways of living, honestly, um, since COVID. So I think that's kind of an attractive thing, attractive thing to sell together, but um, that's interesting. And I love the idea. All right, cool. So, so the build, so you're doing the building, you're going to do that. Now you're going to tap into multifamily. 
Mm-hmm. What, what, what led you to that? You know, <laughs> I got a, I got this property under contract and was intending to wholesale it. And then the more I looked at it, the more I thought it was a good deal. So then I was like, okay, well, I should just buy it. So, but then I had to figure out how to make that happen. And as every deal that I do is kind of complicated, it was, it took on a life of its own. I'm under contract. I had two people that were going to buy it with me. I was going to bring zero of my own money to the table. I had two cash investors that were going to be dirt investors by the land. And I was going to bring construction financing. And that was, we were going to JV. Four days before closing, one of the cash investors was like, I'm going to dip out. This is not my deal. So in four days, and we're under contract, closing's four days away. And I called the, the seller and I said, do you think we could extend a little bit? I'm having some trouble with one of my cash investors. And she goes, no, this is literally what she told me. She was a very experienced um, real estate investor. And this is what she told me verbatim. No. And if you don't close in four days, I'm going to sue you for specific performance. Wow. Okay. So that was not fun. Yeah. And the reason why she elaborated was there was three transactions dependent on ours closing. They were buying and selling and somebody else was buying and selling. So it was multiple deep. So anyway, I had four days to come up with $475,000. I had to cover some of it myself, but I brought in um, a partner with some cash. And our original plan was just to do something cool in the 3D printed space. We just, it's, a, it's almost an acre. So we had a lot of space. We were going to do something cool 3, 3D printed. And then the more research that, that, that we got into with that, it's a whole nother ball of wax. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of by accident. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it turned it started out as one thing and turned into another. But isn't that how that happens though? Like one one, one thing starts as something and then you realize, you know, that's why that's why you always hear at Keller Williams that we say, you know, a, a lot of our top people say, you know, when you go on a listing appointment or when you see real estate, your first question is what? Right? Should, Should I, I buy, buy this? It? Should right. I buy this? 100%. And, and, right? And so so many people don't get involved with real estate that are in real estate and it's always like the Okay. Yeah. So I, I love that you're taking this to a whole nother level. And, and that's the thing is the more you're in it, the more opportunities are actually going to come your way. And it doesn't it's have crazy. to be right. It, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. So uh, the startup, like, I love the idea that you started uh, living in it, right. You fix it up, did it yourself, did mm-hmm. what you need to do. And you started making money and doing that. And that, so there's so many ways to do it guys. Um, that, Tons it's not oh it's not don't let it intimidate you right so when you when you say you want to spend time speaking and teaching next year like that being your your one goal what needs to happen between now and then for that to happen i'm in the process so i'm i'm getting ready to relocate a project manager from chicago and his wife and two kids which is absolutely mortifying because i have lots of single guys that work for me now but now i'm going to be responsible for a family but Um, This is somebody I've known since I was five and he's taking this leap of faith with me and he's going to move down here and he's going to really take over all of the infield operations, all of the construction projects. Like he's the guy that actually swings the hammer, uses the saw, installs the tile. And has been doing that at a high level in Chicago for a long time. So I think he's going to come be that person for me. Then my project manager, Evan, will be able to step back into more of a supervisory role and just make sure the permits are right. He's also a perfectionist. So he can go out and tell 
my project manager or my supervisor on site, he's going to be like, no, this needs to be redone. So I have all of that covered. I've got Devin, who's my buyer's agent now and part-time ops manager, which I'm going to need more ops help. But <laughs> once Devin gets, gets comfortable and takes this year to get his legs under him, he should be able to handle my referral business. And then my time next year should be really free to, to educate. And I don't honestly know exactly what that looks like yet. No. Um, we're, I'm taking this year to figure it out, but okay. I'm building the team around being able to kind of take a step back from some of these businesses that take up a lot of my time so I can teach people. Cause that's, that's really what I want to do. And I think part of, I think part of that teaching, there's going to be two segments to it. One of it is going to be to existing realtors. Cause I really believe that realtors should be builders. Um, I'm getting a call. I don't know if it's going to cause me to lose you. <laughs> no, you're I good. You? no, you're good. Um, so I really believe that realtors should be builders because there's so much in common with real estate and building. It doesn't make sense not to, um, like 80% of it. If you are a real estate agent, you should be know, you should know what land costs when you buy it. You should know what's a good deal. You should know what buyers are looking for on the backside. When you build something, you should know what those comps should go for. You should know the majority of the trades. So the, really the only part is getting a system in place and pulling around that last 15%. And then we've got between 4.7 and 5.4 million housing units shortage in this country. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. Generation Z is expected to bring 3.3 million buyers to the market a year. So if you have all these realtors building, that should help. But how it's going to be hard to scale it super fast. I'm aware. Yeah. Yeah. But who's, your, who's your second audience then? The second audience is I, I, my original goal with stepping away from my business was to move to DC and be a lobbyist for to Congress and lobby Congress to have financial literacy education mandated at an elementary and middle school level. And then the more I thought about that, the more I thought about bureaucracy and how much that takes too much time. And I don't have that energy to take all of that time for the bureaucracy. So now I just want to develop a class that's free and put it on the internet. And that free class is what I wish I had been taught when I was a kid. And it's not done yet. I mean, with still so much development that needs to go into it, but that's what that class is. That class that I wish I had had access to. That one that, you know, when I look at, I have been a really very vocal critic of inflation. And I think what people are doing right now is gonna make a massive difference in their life in five years because Inflation is probably going to go crazy in the next five years. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. It's not going to go like off the charts. It's not going to take a barrel of money to buy a loaf of bread, but it's going to, things are going to be much more expensive. So it's not only about making more money. It's about doing more with what you have. After you take your human necessities into consideration, where's your money going? And if it's not going into investments, why is it going there? It, it's like, it's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference. So I, I just want to talk to as many people as I can, because no matter, even if I talk to millions of people, millions of people are going to get left behind. And it's, it's going to be a massive division. The people, the people that are quote unquote poor or at risk now are going to be massively poorer in five years. 
and I'm stressed about it. You know, I love, I love that you said uh, that awareness piece, because I talk about that all the time. I say, you know, where do we learn anywhere in our growing up about financial literacy and what, what money does? And it's not about just making money. It's what you do with money, right? We aren't taught that unless you're maybe an economics major or something like that, right? Where it's, it's in that space, but that's in college, right? You just yeah. don't learn. And, and I love the idea. Um, I love everything you just said. And I, and this is why you're on the show, because I think you are somebody who plays to win. And I think you're the way you show up in life. I just love, um, but, and then the, the thing is, is you have this abundant mindset is like, I got I need to help people. And I, how cool that your passion is so passionate that you wanted to go to DC to make a difference. I applaud you for that. And okay. So I also know that would completely consume me and maybe I can make more of an impact another route. Right. And, and there, yeah. there you go and, and reach an audience. Maybe I can meet, reach a million people, another platform by putting in free education to the world. And yet even that won't be enough, but it'll be something. And it leads to something else. Right. And, and that's the great thing is when you do good things into the world, you don't even know what the next thing is coming for you. Right. You're just, you don't even know what that is, but the fact that you're focused on bringing so many people into an, an unconscious uh, enlightenment of what's happening in the world. People don't look at money. When you think about the, the average American, and it's, it's, it's sadly a lot in our country. Uh, you know, I've lived in Europe and they're very different about money, um, but we are not taught about investments and, and right. having a safety net and things like that. And when I heard the number, and I might be wrong on the number, but it was something like the average homeowner has a savings account of $3,000 or something. And then the, and somebody who's just renting is just like zero, zero. Mm. What, how is that? And how is it that some people can, can build really great wealth from a moderate income and others that make, you know, win the lottery of a hundred million dollars are declaring bankruptcy two years later. Yeah. It's and I, do I don't know anybody that's won the lottery and declared bankruptcy two years later, but I know somebody that won the lottery and declared bankruptcy 12 years later. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's people need to be taught this stuff. It's a basic human right. But I think also part of the problem is, and I just literally was talking about this this morning, is a man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future is a man that always returns to his past. So if you can't, you, you, some people have been so beaten down and told by so many people that they can't or they won't or they are incapable or whatever the excuse is, whatever the limiting belief is, that they don't see a vision of their future. So they don't think about it. So they're living in their day to day. Well, your day to day is going to keep you stuck in your past. So you got to, you have to, I'm a perfect example. I am not unaware that I have the benefit of being Caucasian in this country. That is a, is a major benefit. But besides that, I really don't, ha I, I didn't have any major steps forward when I started. I, I had, I don't have a college degree. I don't have wealthy parents. I didn't have at that point a great network. I mean, there's no, there's no reason I should have been able to take what I did and, and turn it into what I did other than sheer and utter determination. And I think more people are capable of doing it, but they have to get out of their, their own way. Yeah. How fun would it be to take your program and take it to um, just different areas, right. Of lower income too, and, and, and building something around that. It's kind of like 
the the QL for kids, you know, KW Kids Can. And mm -hmm. Gary wrote Quantum Leap for young adults from 18 to 24 to just like, man, if, if you could hear it, learn these lessons early on, right? Uh, mm -hmm. What would your life look like on just who you're surrounding yourself with? What do you want to have happen? What are you doing with your money? Instead of just, you know, spending, spending, how are you investing it? And one thing Mo said last week, Nick, was um, she said she taught with her, her grandchildren. Um, she taught them for every dollar that they get, right? They have three piggy banks. Ten, what, you know, 10% goes in a, a tithe, meaning who do you want to give back to, right? Who mm -hmm. do you want to help? Who needs it? Another mm -hmm. one goes to investments and another one for savings. And then when any of those piggy banks are full, you get to decide where you put that money. And she said one of her grandchildren ended up being an investment, you know, really big financial guy because he got it at an early age. Like he got it. Yeah. That's simple That's lesson cool. though, right? It's just like, wow. Okay. So investing is just part of what I do. Yes. What do you do with the money? Because half of the, it's, it's great to make money, but it's greater to actually do something with it and have the money totally. work for you. Right. Totally. totally. That's amazing. I, I, man, I love that. I'm so glad I have you on the show today. Um, okay. So, so building new adventures, working on writing and getting this word out. What, where do you think the opportunity is right now? Uh, you know, boom, we're in January and now we have what 40% less listings than we did last month or whatever. Right. And it's, it's never victim language, but where do you think the opportunity is for people listening today for, uh, for real estate in, in uh, this year and beyond right now, it's been an interesting two years. Yeah, it has been. And, and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about diversifying income streams is because I think traditional real estate, I don't think it's dying. I don't want to be, I don't want to scare anybody, but I think it's going to be chipped away at. I think, I think not thinking that is, is kind of like putting your head in the sand and not, not paying attention to what's happening. You're seeing tech disruptors in every industry chip away old institutions. Sure. And I think, I think if you're going to be a successful agent and there will always be agents, I, there's, there's a human aspect of it that certain humans are going to always want that human aspect. You, I don't, I personally would never do an agentless transaction. Even if it's, even if I have to personally pay the 3%, I can't imagine doing a transaction without an agent. But I think there's certain people that can see themselves doing that. So in order to bring value to the people that still want to do business with an agent, you can't be an average agent. You, you, 20, 80 rule. Do you want to be doing 20% of the business or 80%? You know, which, which segment do you want to see yourself in? So for me, and again, this is all about that ball rolling down the hill and it just making my life so much easier. I, you know, I've got a client that I got under con. I met her at a coffee shop. She actually overheard me talking to an agent about KW. I met her at a coffee shop. 48 hours later, I had her under contract on a $1.217 million house. She was an attorney, had been in a relationship with an agent for four transactions and had told the agent more than once, you know, don't lose me a house over 50 or $60,000. She terminated her relationship with that agent. She was, had just done so when I met her. And she's like, do you think you could find me a house? I found her the house. We went and looked, it had been on the market for 30 minutes and I called her. We went and looked at it. I had my architect and my um, 
my architect and my attorney on the phone in 30 minutes of walking in the front door and said, hey, is there any impervious cover left on this lot? Can she do a pool? I'm asking this of my architect. And then of my attorney, I'm like, can you pull deed restrictions? What's going on with this, with this property? Both of them got back to me within 30 minutes and we could write an all cash offer over list price and wrap it up. But that's because of my network and because I could give that client I told her there's not enough impervious cover left. You can't build a pool. But we knew that going in. So she could write a super strong offer, understanding what her max was for a property that couldn't accommodate a pool. And we got it. So I say that to say, it's like, if you're just being an agent, that's fine. But I think reach your arms and tentacles into as many different aspects of real estate as you can. Know enough that you can advise a client on way deeper of a level than just buying and selling. And I think that's really going to make a difference, regardless of what the pandemic and the market does. Continue to educate yourself, differentiate yourself in the market, prove your value proposition. That's, I mean, and if you're struggling for what your value proposition is, then you need to call me or one of your team leaders or somebody you trust and say, hey, I'm struggling with my value proposition is, what do you think it is? And then go from there. That's so good, that's so good. And it's all of the, uh, your life experience that you've brought into your failing forward moments and, and putting the risk out there and you learning yourself also that got you to the, the legitimate position you're in today that you can do that, right? Because you've built the relationships. You, you have to have a relationships. You need to understand different opportunities. And, and, and so I, I love that you said that because I couldn't agree with you more that it's, it's the diversifying, understanding the different markets, knowing how to be the solution to the challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Because there, I also believe there will always be real estate agents for certain mm -hmm. people. And there's, there'll be more and more investors that, that won't need it. And there's different competitors coming to the market. That's why you have to be good. And that's why you have to know what you're doing. And that's why you also have to build wealth for yourselves in multiple ways. Right. And even if you have investor clients, I, I, I can, and again, I hope this doesn't come off as cocky, but just confident in, in what I've amassed in my experience in the last seven years. I can run circles around most investors, exactly. literally. Like one of the, the property I just got under contract in four or five, I had told my, my mom and my sister the night before, I'm not buying anything else. I'm done. I promise I have too much going on. I'm not going to buy anything else. The next day, this lot in four or five popped up. <laughs> so I sent it, I, honestly, I sent it to a developer friend of mine. I was like, you, you need to buy this lot. And him and his partner looked at it and they went, no, we're going to pass on it. And I'm like, are you guys insane? Are you crazy? So I put I contracted on it and it was the reason everybody was scared was because it was zoned light office. Well, light office in this particular neighborhood, which my architect told me within 30 minutes of getting this info from my wholesaler, is that in this neighborhood, light office has an, an MU overlay, which will allow you to develop a residential project. So I'm I paid 550 for the land at a price for 880. So because and I, and I ran circles around the other two investors who were considering it. They were like, no, we're not sure what the play is here. We're not going to buy. And I'm like, okay, good, because I am going to buy. And I bought it. <laughs> and so even if your clients are investors, they still need you as an agent. Yes, but they do. deepen your skill set. Don't yeah. be, you know, if you, if cash deals in this city are king right now, if you have a cash investor client, 
do you do you have an architect that you can ask those questions about the zoning if you don't you should make one you should you know have that architect contact do you know how to look up zoning in the city's zoning and see on sf2 lots okay you can only build one structure in sf3 you're allowed to build two unless there's deed restrictions that say you can only build one these are the kind of things that you need to understand if you're going to you know represent investors and then you need to go to those investor meetings and whatever the niche is that people want to develop they just have to develop it and like go full in and what what makes you happy and then understand every aspect of that and when you do you're going to be the expert experts get paid well two things and this is this is true in anything in life investing and personal relationships and whatever is if you leap the net will appear but you have to leap first and what i'm saying by that is even if doing this educational thing for free winds up costing us money, my sister and I have a nonprofit that we're going to use to pay to develop this project because it needs to be done. And then um, we are aware that it will probably present future opportunities because we want to do education for building. So maybe you take this free course, which is essential and everyone as a human deserves to have but then if you want to learn about building maybe that's something we charge for so we're aware that there's going to be things that we can do in the future but we're taking the leap based on the fact that the net will appear last parting thoughts we're out of time what was the last thing you would like to say to the group as we wrap up this session of playing to win i have so enjoyed having you here my dear i would just say you know i think my my big breakthrough came for me when I started putting myself first. <clears throat> and I mean that, and it happened in a lot of different ways. When I quit smoking, when I stopped drinking, when I did, you, 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 we can't get more time, but what are you doing with the time that you have? You wanna level up, sit down and get really real with yourself about how you're spending your time. Your time is the only thing you can't get more of. And, and I, I have a specific memory of one of our our top agents, one of our rainmakers in our office in a morning meeting talking about how they didn't clean their house anymore and they didn't do all these things because their time was too valuable. And as a new agent sitting there, I thought, well, yeah, I don't wanna clean my own house either, but I can't afford the maid right now. That's a limiting belief because you, just because your life doesn't look like the rainmakers yet, how can you take that advice and apply it to your own life? that two hours per day that you're spending watching tv if you made 50 grand last year your time is 25 dollars an hour so if you spent two hours watching tv you just lost 50 dollars. is that 50 dollars that you're okay losing and if it is that's fine but if it's not you need to make a change that would be my my biggest advice was when i started putting myself first stop drinking stop smoking my, me as a human started putting myself first the things that i want to do the way i want to spend my time is not in bed with a hangover, you know? And, and are you depressed? Okay, stop drinking and smoking. Those are both depressants, period. I mean, literally, you are depressed and you wanna change your, your outlook on life? Stop smoking, stop drinking, and then call me. Man, you can help everybody around you. And so yeah. why don't we look at life like that? Why aren't we taking care of ourselves? Because when you take care of yourself and, and you are building your own wealth, and you can turn around and take people with you, what an yeah. impact you can make, but how can you help everybody else and not help yourself? Right, and the only other thing I would say to add to that is also when 
it's so it sounds so cliche because it's you know a bold law but when you the way you look at things changes the things you look at change because I no longer use the word stress. I don't use the word. I don't identify with it because there is, it's, it's a human construct. There is no such thing as stress. The only thing there is, is a lot of information. So if I am feeling that emotion, I tell myself, slow down. This is not stress because that's a made up, that's, it's made up. What it is, is I maybe have too much going on and I need to either delegate or stop taking so much on. So stop, stop. The way you talk to yourself is so massively important. If you tell yourself you're stressed, you're going to be stressed. If you tell yourself you're not going to succeed, you will not succeed. If you tell yourself good, positive, loving, you know, and, 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 it's, and it's in the littlest. I mean, when I'm with people who, who have self-love and self-talk problems, I'm aware of how differently I think. Because it's in the tiniest moments that you have, you know, self-doubt your body is listening to those things. You, you ha- you've got to be really, really specific and careful about how you're talking to yourself because the limit does not exist. The limit is the space between your ears. Every single thing in the world that's not organic was made by man, which means you are possible and capable of doing anything if you can get out of your own way. Amazing what this man has done in the last seven years of his life. And I cannot wait to see what Nick Landis does in the next 70. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Second Half. And we'll see you next time.